If you would, remain standing and open your Bibles again to John chapter 11. We're going to continue our study John's Gospel. So we think about that party we just heard about. There's a key element of it. Death is swallowed up on that mountain where that huge feast is. And this morning we're going to get a glimpse of who actually swallows up death in glorious victory. So this morning, John chapter 11, beginning in verse 17, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who saw who were there with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. 
Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The word of the Lord. Let's ask for help. Father, we thank you for this, your word, truly light, life, resurrection, hope. We pray that we would hear you, clearly hear you, still saying that you, Jesus, are the resurrection and the life. Remind us of that as we live in a culture of death. Father, would you be at work by your spirit, teaching and guiding. Open our eyes, illumine us to the truth, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. All of the gospel accounts gives us, give us the words and deeds of Jesus, but they don't do that in a vacuum. As though Jesus is somehow void of an emotional life. John, the one who wrote this, never mentions his own name the whole time. Rather, he refers to himself as the beloved disciple or the one who Jesus loved. Very soon, we're going to see him reclining on the breast of Jesus as they're seated for dinner, an incredible conversation. In short, what we see is a Jesus who has an emotional life. There's an incredible little essay that B.B. Uh, Warfield wrote. You should read it. It's called The Emotional Life of Our Lord. It's not long. You can either read it for free online. The PDF is out there, or you can buy it. Crossway has a great little edition. I highly encourage you to do that. Here's a, here's a quote from that book. The emotions of Jesus, various as they are, do not inhibit one another. Compassion and indignation rise together in his soul. Joy and sorrow meet in his heart and kiss each other. Strong as they are, not mere joy but exaltation, not mere irritated annoyance but raging indignation, not mere passing pity but the deepest movements of compassion and love, not mere distress but an exceeding sorrow even to death. They never overmaster him. He remains in control. There's two main points to think about. I mean, here we have this famously, as you were a kid, you knew the shortest verse in the Bible. Of course I memorized verses. Jesus wept. Just rolls off the tongue, right? But th think of all that goes into that. Think of all that we've already learned about the identity of who Jesus is, and then think about his tears. He lived an emotional life. He was never ruled by those emotions. The question, I guess, for us today, as we even begin to think about this text, is do we have room for a Jesus like this? Yes. God is a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions. And sometimes we like this big theological terms. He is impassable. We, we tend to throw that around as good Presbyterians. And that's a, a truth. Yes, he is immutable. And his passions don't rule him. But here's the thing. That does not mean he is devoid of emotion. We need to see that in the Word of God. We need to see His 
emotional life. We don't have a record of him laughing out loud. Can you imagine a person living 33 years without having belly laughed one time? You don't think Mary could make Jesus smile? That she would know the precise way that he's gonna, she's going to make him laugh? Of course. Jesus enjoyed weddings. He liked breakfast on the beach with friends. Sometimes when he was especially harassed by many others, he liked solace of a mountain alone with the Father. Jesus is deep water. And we don't need to think that he was void of an emotional life. Just to situate where we are again in the text from two weeks ago, Jesus had um, heard that his friend Lazarus was ill. And so, therefore, he waited. Very confusing. Why is he waiting? He knows he's going to die. He's, he's doing it intentionally for his glory. He says that, he says that precise thing. And then several times in this te text today, the crowds, Mary and Martha, they were all like, Jesus, if you had only been here, he would be fine. And we know the whole time that they're saying that he did this intentionally. It was intentional. It was intentional. So his friend who he deeply loved was sick and then he died. All this was for glory. Now, Jesus is also going back to Bethany, which is very close, less than two miles from Jerusalem. And the last time he was there, people wanted to kill him. The Jews were taking up stones to stone him. Today, we'll look at this text specifically at Jesus in three ways. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is near us in suffering, and Jesus is able in death. First, the resurrection and the life. It opens in 17 and 18 with death on every side. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus was already in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them. Lazarus has been dead four days. Death. Not only that, but John wants us to feel the danger of death because, again, he's giving us the proximity of Bethany to Jerusalem. And we, we, we're supposed to remember they want him dead. Jerusalem is not a safe place for Jesus right now, and that's exactly where he went. The last line we heard from two weeks ago, Thomas saying, let's go with him, that we may die with him. Jesus is doing all of this, by the way, to come and heal and raise a friend. He is willing to risk his own life to go and raise a friend. And this is exactly the point he makes in, later in John 15. Greater love has no man than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. He doesn't just say these platitudes. It doesn't just roll off his tongue. That's exactly what he's doing. He's risking his own life to save another. In addition to this 
smell of death coming from um, all around, we have two heartbroken sisters. You ever had someone come to you utterly heartbroken? Maybe they just lost a loved one. Do you know what that's like? The weight of emotion that's in the room. The incredible uh, awfulness of it. We're told that Martha comes out to him and Mary stays behind in the house. So Martha comes out, Lord, if you had been here, he he would not have died. I wonder about all the conversations that Mary and Martha must have had from the time that Martha sent word to Jesus days before this. I wonder how often they looked at each other during the day saying, I wonder if he got our message. I wonder when Jesus is coming. Can you imagine? Have you, have you ever waited for an answered prayer? Like they were, they were just waiting on Jesus to answer. Have you ever just waited and the situation gets worse and worse and worse? That's the, the feeling I get from the sisters. If you had been here, Jesus, he would not have died. Can you see the radical honesty in that? Can we speak to God like this? Yes, in fact, we are invited again and again in the Word to to speak to God like this. We sing a song here, How Long, rooted in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? And it goes on and on like that. Lord, if you had been here, he would not have died. While offering her complaint, she still has not given up on the Lord. Even now, she says, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Even in her pain, she has not lost confidence. She had not lost hope. Jesus replies simply how? Your brother will rise again. He's here to do something about it. And then she... she, Shockingly, she says, I know. He's going to rise in the resurrection on the last day. This was a very first uh, century thing to understand that those who are dead would eventually rise. And so Martha had this expectation of that as well. But it was at the end of history. It's at the end of all things. However... Jesus breaks into this saying that he is the end of history. That it's here. It's exactly what he claims. He's come to bring the new with him now. He doesn't just bring resurrection and life. He claims that he is the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. Just as Jesus' miracles seem to have this accumulating effect, so do his I am statements. This is an incredible statement that he makes. Again, he's not saying that he can just perform resurrection or give life. 
That's not what he says. It's certainly not less than that because he can perform it as well. He says, I am that. I am resurrection and life. He's claiming to, to be life itself. And John has set us up from John chapter 1 for this very reality. We know that he speaks all things into existence by the word of his power. He is himself the agent of creation. We've seen it time and time again that Jesus is coming to break into the old and sinful world, our old lives, our old selves to, to give us life, resurrected life. He has come to make all things new. As the divine Son of God, Jesus absolutely can raise Lazarus from the dead. But again, he's telling Martha something much bigger. Something much more lasting. He's saying, look, this is me. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. This is what Jesus is up to. J.C. Ryle comments, quote, Jesus tells Martha that he is not merely a human teacher of the resurrection, but the divine author of all resurrection, whether spiritual or physical, and the root and fountain of life, end quote. Resurrection and life is offered even through and in the face of death. Notice that Jesus says, whoever believes in me, Though he die, yet shall he live. The way of resurrected life is only one. No one else in history has ever been able to claim anything close to this. Believing in him, though he die, yet shall he live. And then he concludes simply, do you believe this? Which is the point of all of John's gospel, right? He's writing again and again to us saying, do you believe? Do you believe? We are meant, just like Martha, to believe. We're meant to see that Jesus is none other than God incarnate in the flesh and that he's come into the world as the resurrection and the life. So the question should come to all of us. Do we believe this? Do we believe that Jesus is, in fact, the resurrection and the life? Martha makes this incredible, listen to this statement of faith. It's, it's remarkable. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That is a statement of faith. She doesn't just say that Jesus is in the world. Interest, interestingly, she says, coming into it's like being poured into the world. She knows this much already, but there's more yet to come. Let's hear Martha's statement and let's all agree with her. Yes, you are the Christ breaking into the world of death, giving life. The reality that Jesus is the resurrection in life gives us certainty in this life. And also certainty for a future hope when our bodies fail and fade, and they will. As long as Jesus tarries, the sin nature and the fall is doing that to us. 
We're born and then we're going to die from dust to dust. So where's our hope? Here is our hope. Jesus himself is the embodiment of it. He is the resurrection and the life. If we're like Martha, and we, we can see this, and we can say who Jesus is, then we can't just wash over our sin. If we say, yes, he is the resurrection and the life for me today, then you can't just ignore your sin. If, if, if you grow convicted, you can't just say, well, that's just the way I am. No, Jesus is breaking in. You have resurrection life now. You can't just say, I can't change. No, that is not a possibility because the resurrected life is breaking in now. You can't just say, I can't fix this thing about me or I'm not going to fix this thing in my relationships. The gospel says, no, you are new. You are a new creation in Christ. Now, this is a present reality. How has it made a difference in your life? If you're a child of God and you're in Christ, has the resurrection, has this new life taken hold in you? Later in the book, we'll read, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in believing you may have what? Life in his name. That's not just a future hope that's present in the life of believers. So now we see that Jesus is not only the resurrection and the life, but also he is the one who is near in suffering. This is, this is one of the oddest things, I think, in John. It's, it's very strange. Notice Martha goes back to the house to get Mary and she's still in there weeping and Mary comes, she hears that Jesus wants to see her. She comes quickly to, to Jesus and her response is a, a, a bit more um, urgent. Now when she comes, she sees him, she falls down at his feet. Lord, she says something very similar. Lord, had you been here, my brother would not have died. They both believe that Jesus could have done something about his sickness they're wondering about his death. And the next three verses, and he, here's what makes this odd, okay? Jesus already knows what he's going to do. He has already defied death in, in his words. I am the resurrection and life. That is, that, that is defiance. That is utter defiance. Death does not win. And yet here, listen to what he... The text tells us when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Hang on a minute. He just defied death itself. He just said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And yet here he's deeply troubled in his spirit and he's weeping. Why? Does that strike you as odd? I think we're meant to see it as odd and we're meant to wonder what this is about. 
These words are interesting. Deeply moved can refer to the, the snorting that a horse makes. It suggests anger, outrage, emotional indignation. Jesus is angry. Greatly troubled, that is, disturbed, agitated, stirred up, enraged. Jesus is enraged in his spirit. How does he express this rage and anger? He is weeping hot tears. Why is he angry? He knows what he's going to do. Why is he disturbed? Why is he weeping? God is weeping. Again, let me read to you from Warfield. Listen closely. The tears which wet his cheeks when looking upon the uncontrolled grief of Mary and her companions, he advanced with heart-swelling indignation at the outrage of death to the conquest of the destroyer. His tears were distinctly tears of sympathy. End quote. He, he's saying two things, and I can't say it much better than that. He's saying Jesus wept to be near to them. He wept taking their pain. And his, his, dis, his being enraged was against death itself. That is what Jesus thinks about the curse. That is what he thinks about death. He is angry over it. It disturbs and troubles him that this world is cursed and fallen and that a friend should be laid low and set in a tomb. He is weeping over the fall. God is weeping over the cursed world that exists, that people would actually die. And he's weeping tears to be near to Mary and Martha in their grief. Death is a curse. God is not passive in that. He's saying, I'm entering your pain with you. And he's weeping for our benefit. For you and me. Every single one of us here knows what it's like to to go to a funeral. Death is there. It's a terrible feeling to stand around the casket of a loved one. Jesus is not passive. His, His tears join us and ours. We are not the only ones to experience loss and death. Jesus has come to experience it with us. In Christ, we have a great high priest, Hebrews says, who has gone before us and in every single way possible can sympathize with us in our weakness. Jesus is considering the whole human race and he is burning in anger and agitation against those who would oppress men. Death, hell, Satan, the grave, he... He is angry for death itself. And here he is, come to the tomb to fight death, to prove that he himself has power over death. And recalling these events for us, John points again and again and again ahead to the death and resurrection of Christ himself. This is like a prelude of things to come. 
Not only has Jesus secured our redemption by living and dying and rising, he has also felt all the emotions that accompany living in a world that is cursed like ours. It doesn't matter. Your emotional life, he knows what it's like to live here. He knows what it's like to lose a friend. The Jews see the reaction of Jesus and they have mixed emotions. Some of them are like, oh, look, see how he loved him. And others were like, hey, if he, if he healed a blind man, why couldn't he have just healed Lazarus? Isn't that an interesting observation? They don't dismiss the fact that he can heal. They're like, Jesus had bad timing. You, you just get a tiny glimpse there of hardness of heart. Rather than being in awe over who Jesus is, the fact that he can heal a blind man, they're saying he, he has bad timing, doesn't he? He was lazy. He didn't get here quick enough. Lastly, not only is Jesus the resurrection and the life, not only is he near us in our grief and pain, lastly, Jesus is able. He is powerful over death. In verse 38, he again has this emotional state. John is again highlighting that he is deeply moved again as he's coming to the tomb. He's walking up to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone lay against it. Listen to this quote. Calvin says, Christ does not approach the tomb as an idle spectator, but as a champion who prepares for a contest. And therefore, we need not wonder that he again groans for the violent tyranny of death, which he had to conquer, is placed before his eyes. Here's a contest right here. Jesus versus death. Who's it going to be? The playing field is the grave. Who's going to win? Jesus commands the stone to be moved. And Martha protests. Isn't it interesting? She just said... I believe she had this great statement of faith and Jesus is, all right, I'm going to do something about death. Here's the, here's the conqueror. He's like, move the stone away. And what's Martha say? Oh, she, he stinks. He's been dead four days. His body is smelly. Don't do that. I love that she says that because that's like me. And I think that's like you too. And it is this. It is, yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the one who is coming into the world. And then, no, wait a minute. Don't do that. You can't do that. It's, it's this. It's I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. Right? At this moment, she doesn't believe he can do anything about it. No, don't open the tomb. He stinks. This is you and I. We get it, and yet we don't. Yes, we believe. But you can't do that. You and I know that Jesus is good. We read his word. We trust him. But often when situations are very difficult... When there's a lot of stress, when there's problems that seem too big for us, we don't really believe. We don't really trust. Just like Martha in this moment. She, yes, Christ, I believe. And then here, no, don't move the, don't move the stone. 
This is us. This is me. Life can be overwhelming. And in those times, the commands of Jesus and his goodness don't seem as clear to us. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Here at the grave of a friend, Jesus says to this statement that lacks faith, he makes it about glory. Isn't it most often the case the glory of God is revealed through and despite terrible circumstances? This is where we meet God. It is often not when everything is easy and and life is just so great and you don't really need God because you have everything you want. You have everything you need. You don't need Him. That's why when the wheels fly off, Jesus says you'll see glory. We're meant to smell the smell of death at this grave and we're meant to think glory. Listen, when death is knocking when, when you experience pain and anguish over illness, consider this, the glory of God. And this is the way it's always been. This is the way it's always been in the life of Jesus, a baby lying in a feeding trough. Glory. A conquering king riding in on the colt of a donkey. What is that? Glory. The very Son of God whipped, spit on, hung on a cross. Shameful. Glory. Apparently Martha gives consent. They roll the stone away and then Jesus prays. And he prays not for the power to do this. Notice what he prays. He prays, thank you that you heard me and I know that you always hear me and I am praying that those around right now would know that we're together. He's not praying for the power to do it. He's already thanking God. It's it's done. He's known for days what he's going to do. He's thanking God and connecting everyone there with the fact that the reality of what he said earlier is true. I and my Father are one. Jesus is the connective, this prayer is the connective tissue, rather, for everyone listening to to know and kind of sense this union between Father and Son. It's also an invitation for us to thank God that He hears us when we pray. That's a Christ-like prayer. Thank you that you hear us. When He had said these things, He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. He was still bound, and Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Jesus doesn't whisper. He doesn't just think it and it happens. We know that he can do all things like that. He healed a man's son from afar. Go, your your son is healed. He doesn't do that. In this case, he shouts, he raises his voice. He cries out, Lazarus, come out. Why use a loud voice? We have to go back. Creation itself was 
spoken into existence. God said, He speaks, He commands, and life happens. We have to go back last Sunday. JV came and preached on what? Psalm 29. Which Psalm 29 is about the voice of God. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders over many waters. That's why He raises His voice. He is that God. We go back, we think back to John chapter 5. Truly, truly, Jesus is talking. I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear it will live. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection and life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Listen, it's always about His voice with the resurrection. It's always about that. The very end, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel. He will come shouting and the trumpet sounding and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, we who are left, will be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. It's always a voice. From creation through Christ and new creation to the very end of all things, Jesus will leverage his voice to our life. Isn't that good? One day like Lazarus, our cold, dead ears will hear. At that voice, think of it. At that voice, that dead man in that tomb had a heartbeat. His heartbeat. He took a breath. His lungs again filled with air. No longer death. The rotting portion of his cells knit together in an instant. And whatever there was that was causing him sickness was gone. Utterly wiped away. All because Jesus defied death and said, come out. And then he walks out. And Jesus gives this other command to, to unbind him. So many ways that we can think about all of this. One is the incredible reality of resurrection that is promised in Christ. Listen, Lazarus would one day die again. But then he would receive the benefit of this final voice of God. That Christ is coming back to get his own. I think every one of us here should be comforted by that. And on this unbind him are some, some good ways to think about ap application for all of us. One thing I thought is whoever did this task of unbinding Lazarus lived the rest of their life remembering that. They knew he was dead. And the rest of their life, this would be a thought in their head. I took grave clothes off this guy. He was dead four days. And then I saw him living. It would be forever burned into their soul. Listen, you and I do not have the power of resurrection and life. We do not have a voice like Christ. But we do have a part to play in the kingdom. Listen to this quote. We cannot bring the dead back to life. 
but we can bring the word of Christ to them. We can do, do preparatory work and we can work afterward. We can help remove stones, stones of ignorance, error, prejudice, and despair. After the miracle, we can help new Christians by unwinding grave cloths of doubt, fear, and discouragement. Yes, we cannot call people to life, but we can help in the process. We can remove these stones and obstacles. We can use our voice and our love in the world. We can encourage new Christians who no doubt have doubts themselves. There's much that we can do. So the two applications are this. One, have you received Christ who is the resurrection and the life? And for those of you who have received him, are you moving rocks? Are you unwrapping grave cloths? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, this text truly is light and life and hope. Resurrection in the face of death. Lord, I pray that you would encourage each of us. Lord, that we would see your glory in the midst of pain and suffering in a world that is cursed by sin and death. Thank you, Jesus, that you raged against it, that you wept with us, and that you did something about it, not only here with Lazarus, but in your own resurrection. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.